With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. It's Chris Mannix with The Vertical, and welcome to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix, where I check in with some of the top players, coaches, and analysts across the NBA. My guest this week is Bobby Marks, the Vertical Front Office Insider and former assistant GM with the Brooklyn Nets. We cover a wide range of topics in this interview, including what kind of problem the Sixers have on their hands with Nerlens Noel. He's been fair in, in the time he's played. I mean, there's been some good moments. There's been some um, not so good moments. If you put him on a, on a trade market, I don't, I don't know what you can possibly get back. And what Bobby would do if he was running the Sacramento Kings in dealing with DeMarcus Cousins. I would suspend them, Chris. They don't have it in them. They don't. They don't have the stones to do it. I know. I know because he's from a trade standpoint. I'm, I'm sure that would hurt his value. But what hasn't hurt his value right now, Chris? All that and more on the Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Well, it's been an interesting last couple of weeks in the NBA. There's a new collective bargaining agreement. Um, you have a superstar that sees his trade value diminished by the hour. And you have an ongoing situation in Philadelphia that may be a little tr- more tricky to resolve than some people think. To talk more about that, let's uh, bring in Bobby Marks, the vertical front office insider, the former assistant GM of the Brooklyn Nets. Bobby, how's it going, man? I'm doing wonderful, Chris. How are you? Oh, man. I- I'm I'm trying to figure out exactly what Nerlens Noel is doing <laughs> in Philadelphia because this is a guy that missed a significant chunk of the early part of the season coming back from injury. Now that he is back, he gripes about minutes, and Brett Brown has taken him out of the rotation entirely, choosing instead to go with that kind of Okafor, um, Joel Embiid front court, which is horrible defensively, uh, and, and plants uh, Noel on the bench. What do you make of that situation? Well, it's interesting uh, in two regards. It's a 
player who's in his last year of his contract and a player who's been injured most of his career in, in Philadelphia. You know, he missed his first year down there with that, uh, the injury from uh, his days in Kentucky. Um, he's been fair in, in the time he's played. I mean, there's been some good moments. There's been some um, not so good moments. I don't know. I, I hate to say, I don't know what his, his body of work right now is, Chris. And, and if you, if you put him on a on the trade market, I don't I don't know what you can possibly get back. Can you get a first round pick maybe? Um, and then that team's got the headache in, in trying to re-sign him and and um, you know deal with from a financial angle. And um, you know I always we talked about it, what happens when these guys come back, and now you, now you see it. Um, but but besides really Embiid, who was you know really good in the in the Brooklyn game. Um, him and Okafor have been spotty at best, and and Noel, you know, we've only seen a small sample this year. I would give up uh, a mid to even high first round pick for Jaleel Okafor. I would just because he's a scorer, and I don't know how many of those guys you know exist in the NBA. The pure post scores that Okafor is, I'd be far more reluctant at this point, despite the fact that he's an elite defender, uh, to give one up for Noel because you know what is he is he a guy that on a winning team can play 30 plus minutes i don't know the answer to that yet i think okafor maybe could be um if somebody can get to him and make him a little bit better defensively uh but i think if he's a full-time five not playing next to Embiid, he might be a little bit better i i just don't see i don't see the offensive upside in nerlens noel and, and frankly bobby in, in today's nba you know if you're going to be a four man and that's kind of what noel is sort of a four five you better be able to space the floor, and he can't do that. So uh, I think Philadelphia's going to have a lot of problems trying to move him. Well, especially that he's been in a position there in Philadelphia. They've had a losing product, um, you know, since he's been there. Um, I always like to see guys play, and, and I always say when, when games mean something. So what, what's to say that when if you if you put him in a different situation that he's going to flourish? I think he's really going to need a, a good point guard for wherever he does go. Um, so when you, when you look to, um, you know, move players to, to possibly obtain him that, you know, that's the big challenge. And, you know, we, we talked about it with Woj last week, it's the expiring contracts and, and, you know, when you give up a lot of, uh, assets, either players or picks, then you, then you feel the pressure that you have to you resign that player. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a, a problem they'll have to deal with in Philadelphia another day. I, I wonder, I wonder if we're on the Brett Brown watch yet, and I hope not. Because I think Brett's a, a great guy, and I think he's a very good coach uh, who's been put kind of in an impossible situation. But when you have uh, new management that is in place in the Colangelos who have no real ties to Brett Brown, I know he, he was given that extension technically while uh, I think Jerry was was initially on the job, but you know he's not Brian's guy. And, and I always thought, Bobby, that if Mike D'Antoni were still on his bench, Brett Brown might not have lasted this long. I mean, there, there might have been a push from the Colangelos to... Uh, replace him with Mike D'Antoni. Do you think it's? Do you think we're on the Brett Brown watch right now as as we enter uh, you know the the new calendar year? I, I don't, Chris, and I say that because either it's been an inferior product the last couple of years, or now we see a team that's been you know with injuries. We've seen we see Jared Bayless out for the year. Uh, Noel has been in and out. Um, tr- you know, you're trying to figure out what what you have. You've got a, a new point guard in Rodriguez. You've got Gerald Henderson, you finally get him beat back. So, um, and you know, I think you throw out that that uh, Laker game last week, uh, and they had a good win earlier, uh, you know, against Brooklyn. Uh, they've been pretty competitive in, in in some of these games. They're still trying to figure out how to how to win. So, that I I don't believe it's uh, you know it's it's on for him, despite where their record is. Yeah, but 
it, it, these, these, the, the GM, the owner, or the, the, the chairman, whatever you want to call Jerry Colangelo, it, they're not his guy. Like they're, and we've seen plenty of examples where a guy didn't deserve to be fired, where they, they were. Now, I'm actually with you in the, in, mostly in the sense that there really isn't a natural replacement. I mean, Jim O'Brien is not, you know, he's not the, the Colangelo's guy either. It's not like he's going to come in and coach a, a style that might be more pleasing uh, to them. But at the end of the year, I, I don't. I, unless there is a a significant surge uh, from the Sixers, where they start, they close the season winning, you know, ten of their last fifteen games or something like that. I I just think they're going to look somewhere else. I really do. Uh, I just think anytime a new new GM and coach and owner comes in or chairman comes in, it's natural to want your own guy, and and this would be a perfect opportunity for for Brian Colangelo to to replace Brett Brown. Well, when you ever get a, a new GM, you're you're under the gun, you know you're on an evaluation for um, either that year or or however long. And um, I, I would f- I certainly think that you know not just you know Coach Brown is under the evaluation, but I think everyone in that you know that front office, besides some of the people that maybe Brian Brian brought in there. And no, I mean that's that's the fruits of the NBA or you know any other sports league is, is that when you get a new ownership group, not, not like, not like Philadelphia does, but when you do have a new management group is that that is their duty. They can bring in who they feel fit uh, from a comfort level, um, you know, to, to run from on the sidelines. But if it, if it wasn't me, I want to see what I can get, what I have in, in Ben Simmons and hopefully he'll be back, you know, sometime in, yep. in the, you know, late January, maybe February. Um, let's see the him and Embiid play together and then maybe take it from there. And if if it if it doesn't work, then you know you 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 cut bait and and you you know look to hire somebody different. This I, I tell you what, that if it if they do move on from Brett Brown at the end of the year, that's an appealing job. That's a you know Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, another high draft pick. Uh, they got the Lakers pick coming too, right? At some point they do. Yeah. So so two you know probable mid to high lottery picks. I mean. You're not going to get a more appealing coaching job for a rebuilding team in the NBA. I think there'll be coaches tripping over themselves to try to get in that situation and work for the Colangelos. Well, and then you have that Sacramento pick in that's 2019 right. that's unprotected. Then you also have the right possibly to swap with them this year if 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 uh, if Chicago doesn't get that pick. So um, there's the organization is set up in a good place right now. Now it's just a matter of. Putting the pieces together, staying healthy is always a big thing. Um, figuring out who fits, who doesn't, and um, you know, and and moving f- from there. But um, the, you know, it's it's so hard though, Chris. You know, when you're rebuilding, and this has been what year three or four for this group to try to take that next step. And and when you kind of you know you're stuck in the mud, as I say, uh, it's hard to get out of that. Has your opinion of Sam Hankey changed, and the, the opinion of the job he did changed? Uh, over the last say six months to a year, no, and I and I, I think I understand Sam a little bit better. You know, when I got let go by the Nets in 2015, I you know he was one of the the first piece, person people that reached out to me, and and I got to spend some time. I went down to Philadelphia and spent a day with him and his group down there, and and, and really just picked his brain as far as his philosophy and how he did things, and I and I understood you know, what he was doing there. I think what really did what doomed Sam in, in Philadelphia was, is that, you know, he wasn't really a face of the organization where he was not in, out front with, from a media standpoint, you know, that Okafor situation um, a year ago when, uh, you know, he got in that fight in Boston, there was a couple other things there. Um, and I don't, uh, for me, I don't think 
that group took ownership of of it um and kind of you know from a pr standpoint i think that really that really hurt him so i i understood where what sam was doing I, you know i think because he was so out front with you know with some of the moves they did um some of the contracts they possibly did um you know it, it's one thing to to tank but to, to it's another thing to put a really you know a poor product on the court and they did but with the understanding that you know we were going to retain a lot of the, or we were going to get a lot of these assets we were going to have cap space um and eventually by you know year 4 i think we're in that now that we'll see start seeing some good things and that's a long time to wait though chris yeah and, and look i hate what he did but it's hard to argue that the Sixers aren't set up pretty well for the long term. I mean, you've got two potential franchise players in uh, Simmons and Embiid. Uh, presumably, you can trade either Noel or Okafor for something uh, of value. They've got huge problems in the backcourt. But uh, I don't know, man. I, I, you know, it's it, it's tough. It, it, I don't think teams will ever do what what the Sixers did again. I, I just think the the PR nonsense and the and the and the criticism will be to be too loud, as we've seen with Hanky. You, you don't keep your job much long when you do uh, stuff like that. But it's it's kind of hard to argue with the results that that this team is is set up for the long term. So well, and I and I don't know how you can have the restraint during that period of time, especially especially when you have that competitive spirit. And and I understand for one year to 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 do so, but to do it, you know, two or three years in a row, and to you know, you're sitting at Christmas and you're ten and thirty or. Five and twenty-five. Oh, and you're already at it, and you still got another four months left of the season. And what do you what do you sell in the, the draft? And then you go into the draft, and you don't get the, you know, you get the third pick in the draft or the fourth pick in the draft, and and basically that's how you've been building it it, it through. And it's hard to it's hard to sell, and that's that's the trouble when you get into um you know when you get into free agency, what what type of, of product you're you know you're selling, and you saw at least this summer we saw some veterans there, and and I know Bayless is out, but you've got Henderson and, and Rodriguez, and mm-hmm. uh, you know at least they, you know put a uh, you know a, a presence in that locker room. I would like to see Philadelphia find a way to trade for for someone like Ricky Rubio. I, I know that that Ben Simmons coming back is theoretically going to be the point guard, but I wonder what. You know, look, they want to play up tempo and they've got the players to do it. Um, you know, if you trade for a guy like Rubio, all of a sudden you've got kind of this open floor playmaker who admittedly is is weak with the jump shot. But it seems to me, Bobby, that you that Rubio in Philadelphia would be a really good fit for a team that wants to play a certain style. Well, here's a question for you, Chris. If if Ricky Rubio was on the free agent market this summer, okay, mm-hmm. would you pay him two years twenty eight million? Uh and I pro- think you can make I think you can make that argument, yes, yeah. right? I mean I mean, and that's what his numbers are. And I think you would. In it. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why, that's why when you look at some of these guys who possibly could be on the, um, you know, on a trade market, I think that's what the mindset you really have to do is, is look at how players were paid, um, you know, this past summer, you know, players like Jeremy Lin, and I like his contract three years, 36, but you know, Rubio's contract somewhat mirrors that. Yep. So when you, when you're looking at it from a trade standpoint, think of it, you know, Hey, if this guy was a free agent right now, would I want to take in that money? And yep. I think you could certainly say yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, let's go from one miserable situation to another in uh, Sacramento where DeMarcus Cousins is at it again, uh, most recently um, going after a Sacramento Bee columnist for one of the most benign reasons ever, Bobby. This this Bee columnist mentioned an incident that Cousins' brother was involved in in the penultimate graph of his story. Now, if you're trying to make a point or if you're trying to embarrass um, or, or, or go after uh, someone, you do it pretty high up in your story. You don't use it as a throwaway line 
in the second to last graph of the story. But this apparently set Cousins off. He went after this columnist in the locker room, stuck his finger in his face, cursed at him, all caught on video, of course. And and now we have another incident uh, with Cousins. Put yourself in, in, in Vlade Divac's shoes. What would you do to handle DeMarcus Cousins? I would suspend them, Chris. I, and I would, and but I have a. They lot don't of have it in them. They don't have it. I know. In them. They don't. I know they don't because he's from a from, from a trade standpoint. I'm, I'm sure that would hurt his value. But what hasn't hurt his value right now, Chris? And plus, they're afraid. Look, of, they're afraid of him out there, Bobby. I, they really I know. Are. Hey, Chris. I saw in. Um, we were in China in 2014. We played Sacramento there, and and we had Paul Westfall on our on our staff who coached Cousins. And I and I I sat. I was probably sitting about six rows behind our bench, and I saw Cousins berate this man out in public where he was yelling basically every swear word at this guy during a game and from a bully standpoint and hey does demarcus cousins do a lot of good things outside of the basketball court i'm sure he does and i'm sure he does a lot of good things in the community and stuff like that but that that bully personality you know teams don't want to deal with that and we've talked about him for like the last three or four weeks i mean we it's almost at, at nauseum right now and I look at the cousin situation where, you know, he, and I read the article and I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was. And you're right. It was at the end of the, the story and his families. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, our family's off limit. I, I, you know, I think to an, yes, but to an extent. And I think the, the writer was trying to make a point where basically you got to make better judgment as far as where are the places that you hang out. And this is the second incident here. And my, my question is, is that it's, you're in Sacramento. DeMarcus Cousins has been there seven years. The Sacramento Bee is probably the only paper in town. So they need the Sac- they need Sacramento, and, and the Kings organization um, needs them. If you're the PR director, and maybe they did this, why wouldn't you have talked to, say, to Marcus Cousins and say, hey, there's this article that's out in the paper right now about you know, your, you know, some of the off-court stuff, and there's a, something about your brother. Um, I'm making you aware of that. Would you like to sit down with the writer who wrote yeah. that? And maybe you can give your opinion on this. And I think you could have handled it that way. And maybe he did it and cousin said, no, I don't want to deal with it, but there's certainly a, a way to, to, to way to do. It. I know if you're in Oklahoma city and there was something about with Russell Westbrook, I, I would hope that, you know, that, you know, uh, that their PR staff was very good would, 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 you know, sit down with with both sides and say, this is why I did it. And and Russell at least can kind of give his his point of view. There is nothing but upside to handling a situation that way. Because, look, as as a writer, and I've been covering the league for about 15 years now, I have had players upset with something that I've written. Um, I have, and coaches too, I have uh, had them come up to me in the locker room and had a frank but private discussion with me. I've been called into uh, the coach's room um, in visiting locker rooms and had a, a frank but private discussion with me. And when it's civil, Bobby, you know, what's that old saying? You, 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 you catch bees with honey or whatever that line is. I forget what that, that saying. You're, like, you're, you're more likely to have your point heard by doing that than going after somebody and embarrassing him in a public situation. Like, I don't know this, this columnist at all, but it it sounds like he's been around for a long time and he didn't look at all intimidated um, at that moment. You're probably not going to engender the benefit of the doubt in any situation because of how you behave there. And, and to me, that's, that was another in a long line of bad decisions by DeMarcus Cuz. Now, now the Sacramento Bee decided to, to ramp things up a little bit. They, they, you know, took this incident 
created a video and and showed the last you know 12 months of DeMarcus Cousins going after uh, not only this columnist beforehand, but you know local bloggers, Sacktown Royalty, the blog there um, in Sacramento. Um, so he's been doing this this type of, of of reporter intimidation for a long time, and it never works. It, it it never it's never productive. Like I I won't sit here and say that the coaches and the players that have had a a, a blunt private discussion with me have earned the benefit of the doubt in stuff I've written, but they certainly have my respect. And I certainly understand their point of view a lot better than if one had just cursed me out in a in a media gaggle. Well, and I saw. I mean, you you saw KG in Boston, and what Kevin would do is basically, you know, he would just say, "Hey, I'm not talking today." <laughs> you know, that's it. I, mean, I did that a and lot. Then, the, and then, and then the, that one day a week, he would sit down and you know try to you know get over you know get get his point out as far as uh, you know either regarding what's going on with the team and you know. I just don't. I don't get it, Chris. How would he, how do you think Demarcus Cousins would handle the Boston media? Oh, that's you know, and I said this on the the Comcast broadcast I was on the other night. You know, if you're if you're like a Dan Shaughnessy, like you just you you camp out at Demarcus Cousins' locker and you see what you can and you ask him, you know, pointed but fair questions and and you and you see what happens. Like the first time he explodes, you go right to him and you deal with it. It's I mean. Look, I I had this discussion uh, with with people in the organization in Sacramento the last couple of days, and one thing they kept telling me was that Demarcus reads everything, like he is reading all of it, like he's look. And I'm not saying this to because I read every blog, every local market that has a, a blog, SB Nation, otherwise, I'm reading it. That's part of my daily routine. But if you're Demarcus Cousins, why are you reading critical coverage on Sacktown Royalty? Like, why are you doing it? I'm not saying that to to criticize uh, this this outlet, but like. Why are you digging for that? Why are you digging for, uh, you know, for for any kind of negative information about you, any kind of negative spin about you? Why are you doing it to yourself? I mean, stop, stop reading it. It, it. To me, that's where it all begins. Stop reading all this negative coverage. I mean, I have heard so many stories over the last thirty six hours or so from people in that organization about how sensitive he is and and the things he takes personally, and that's that's amazing to me. If he takes stuff that personally in Sacramento. I think you're right. What if he winds up in a bigger market? What if he winds up in a place where there's more pressure on him? How does he handle it there? If I'm a team, and, and look, there are a lot of of questions about DeMarcus Cousins from all the teams I talk to, to the point where I'm not exactly sure where a soft landing would be for him. But if I'm a team, I'm looking at this latest incident and saying, all right, I'm already worried about how he you know, fit into my culture with the team. Now I have to be really worried about how he reacts to the first negative column about him. Because I actually think that what this guy mentioned in the column was was kind of fair game. It wasn't like he was pointing out something that Demarcus was involved with as well with his brother. He wasn't just saying that that Demarcus's brother did this. Demarcus was there, so you know that to me made it it fair game. And I think anywhere else he goes, he's going to get similar treatment. Well, you're the face of the franchise, and you've got to you've got to use better judgment, especially you know, Chris. What will, will be interesting here is, is that you know he's he's now qualified for this designated player exception that we see in this new CBA. Oh, they're going to give it to the, him, Bobby. They're going to so, give it to him. Oh no, Bobby. <laughs> there's no greater lock in the world than than the five year max extension coming to Marcus's way. I'm telling you, unless something significantly changes, that is a Vivek Ranadive move right there. Yeah, and I I think they'll they'll give it to him, and he'll probably sign it. So now he goes into this summer with one year left on his contract. And if he's not traded by the deadline, then we, we probably have an idea where this is going. He'll be eligible for a five-year, 
$10 million oh, yeah. contract. And now he will certainly be your face of your franchise. And, and, and good luck trying to get some free agents there. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a, a huge, you know, $36, $37 million uh, cap hit. And, I, and I, I love his talent, though, Chris. I mean, I love him. I saw, watched him the other night against um, the Memphis game, and he was so good down the stretch, you know, when they, when they needed some baskets. And I know he had some, some foul trouble there. But the talent is such a tease. But do you really want to deal with everything else that comes with it? That's yeah. your big question. Yeah, and, and, and it gets harder and harder to defend him. And I, I've been a Cousins apologist for a pretty long time. I've you know, said to anyone that's asked me that I would absolutely make a significant deal I- involving DeMarcus Cousins because of that talent and because of you know, where he is, what his contract looks like, um, and, and my belief that if you take him out of that Sacramento circus, that he would be better in, in a more winning culture, more positive culture uh, somewhere else. But I, I'm... I'm having a harder time. I'm almost throwing in the towel here, Bobby, on, on DeMarcus. And, and look, the reason I say that that the Kings would offer that contract need accept is, is where are his options? Like, where can you trade him right now? I don't believe that Boston would give up real assets to go get him. I, I don't think that the coaching staff there wants him. I don't think um, other situations that other teams that have real assets would give it up for him. You could probably trade him if you're Sacramento, but you're going to get 40 cents on the dollar. At this point, that's the market for him at the moment. Well, no, you're right, and you know that, that, that if you do trade for him, then you know he wouldn't be eligible for that that you know that designated player exception because it doesn't carry over to whatever team your your, your new team. So your your cost would certainly certainly be less. But you know, and we talked about it two weeks ago, and I, and I think you asked me would I take him, and I said yeah if I had the right locker room and the right players coaching and stuff. And now. I, the more I read into it and the more I look at it, I, I can't answer that as a yes anymore just because of, um, you know, where where he is right now. And it seems like the, the, as we as the weeks grow on and Chris, between doing this, the podcast and the videos that we do, we I mean, we should get a sponsorship. Oh, my God. For, yeah. for how much we talk about Sacramento. I mean, I mean it's look at last year. The other I, 29 I, wrote, teams. I wrote more about Sacramento last year with the George Carl situation, I think, than any other team in the NBA. I mean, I was writing about him firing an assistant coach at the trade at the tra- at the trade deadline. I mean, this is they, they they are they continue to be just this ongoing narrative. And and I don't know I don't know where it stops I don't know how you stop well, it either. Well, and then now I I was reading I you know that you know Aaron Follow refused to go into the game the other night against oh, Houston. God. I mean God I mean and he's a he's one of your good veterans that you brought in here. So it just it never seems to 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 get better. And that eight seed I'm telling you that eight seed is up for grabs. And yep. the way the way Portland has played and. I thought they would kind of write their ship and it, you know, the, the way they played the other night in golden state, I mean, God almighty, you know, losing by 40 plus points and, and not being able to, from a defensive standpoint, and you've got your point guard, you know, basically, you know, calling a team meeting and, yeah. you know, Denver's played better. Uh, can Sacramento ship, write the ship and stuff? Um, you know, I, I believe, and I really do. Believe, I thought the eight teams were locked in, but I think that eight seed is up for grabs. You're listening to the vertical podcast with Chris Mannix. And now a word from Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts out of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. 
Even better, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash Mannix. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. Hi, boys and girls. It's Tony Kornheiser reminding you to subscribe and listen to my daily podcast where we talk about everything from sports to politics to the impending animal revolution. And remember, you can listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Now, one more question for you about Cousins. What do you make of Dave Yeager's uh, full-throated defense of Cousins and uh, uh, basically full-throated criticism of what the Sacramento Bee did? I would have protected my player. I don't. I don't know if I would have went the full the full course as far as going on an attack on on the, on the paper and then bringing up you know, hey, I was, you know, um, you know, my family or my kids or my wife was brought into a new story before, and I, I don't know if I would have gone that that extent, but I, I would have certainly protected my player. Um, but I don't know if I, I I needed to go into a you know a full elaborate on why. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I, I liked what he said. He says, you know, he's a, he's, a, you know, he's a good teammate and he's, you know, uh, I haven't had any issues with him and, and, and that from that point of view, but I, I think you, you, you kind of just, you cut it short there. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, you have to defend your guy uh, because you can't lose him. I mean, cousins has, has had such a, a volatile relationship with coaches in the past that you've got to come back, you know, you know, have his back in that, but I'm not sure I would have taken it as far as Dave did either. Uh, all right, let's move on. Um, Blake Griffin. The LA Clippers. He is down now with knee injury, uh, reportedly three to six weeks uh, following a minor knee surgery. Shams Charania from the Vertical, the first to report uh, that. Um, it, you know, three to six weeks is not too long a time. But how worried are you about the Clippers' ability to kind of, you know, wade through this with not a lot of great options uh, to replace Griffin? Well, you know, they're where they stand and they had that loss in, in, in Washington, uh, over the weekend and, and Blake was, you know, he had 26 points that game. And I saw him in Miami on, um, on, um, on Friday night, um, you know, and he had some, you know, some good moments too. It will be interesting how long he's out. If it's to mid January and it's just a cleanup or, you know, end of January, I think you can hold, hold the ship there. But, you know, now you start to distance yourself from where Golden State is and even possibly San Antonio. So now you're in that you're in that three to four range with certainly with Houston as well as they have have played. So you're in that three, four. I think there's some separation with with Memphis, uh, OKC. So that that's the thing and i always said you know you get you know as long as you can get to the get to may or you know or in mid april healthy um you know they'll be they'll be okay so uh for me it's basically more about seeding than than anything it's it's certainly a playoff team but can the brandon bass and the most baits kind of you know hold down down the fort that's going to be the uh, that's going to be the interesting question what do you do with that starting lineup though i mean i know it doesn't necessarily matter because you're going to be working guys in and out um you know multiple players now but you know i i wonder if they dust off paul pierce here and and see what he can give them over a three or four week stretch. I mean, he's only played seven games this season, averaging just over uh, uh, eleven minutes uh, per game. But I would think in the starting lineup, and Pierce has started for Griffin in the past, most recently, uh, I believe in Brooklyn um, a couple of weeks back. But you know, to me, if you can get extract anything out of Pierce over this next these next few weeks, he's the best fit uh, for that starting lineup. Playing a little bit of small ball, uh, let Jordan do the dirty work in the paint and see if Pierce can space the floor as kind of that stretch four that he's been in the past. 
Well, then it wouldn't affect your rotation because you yeah. know, right now, you know, Pierce is not playing. He's out so of it, yeah. You, you, yeah, so you put him in that in that four role and now you keep your bench as is. Um, you know, just talking to the, the 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 guys with the Clippers, they said he's been great for them this year. You know, not not from a from an on-court standpoint, but really been great in the locker room and, and mentoring some of these these young players. So, yeah, that is certainly a possibility. Uh, we did it in Brooklyn. Uh, they did it in in in, uh, in Washington. Uh, even in last year in in Los Angeles around Christmas time, I think he had that against the Lakers on Christmas night. Um, they put him at four, and, and he played well. And you can experiment there because you you can. He's not a he's not a three anymore at this point of his of, of his career. No. So, um, yeah, I mean that's certainly an an, an option uh, to go. You know, can, you know, you can almost do that with Bass. You know, he you know he didn't play the other night against um, uh, Washington, and can you you know you can put him in the uh, in in the starting lineup and keep your bench together also. Yeah, I I I'd give Pierce a turn. I'd see what he can do because um, you know Pierce is you're right. He has been great. He's been kind of a mentor to Diamond Stone among others uh, with that group, but. You know, if Pearson come in there and give them like 25 minutes per game over the next three weeks, that'll almost validate his decision to come back. He might not even have to play in the postseason, but if he can keep this team afloat or help keep it afloat during Blake's absence by playing 25, 30 minutes per night and contributing uh, in that stretch before having to, you know, basically power it down because of how old he is, how little he has left uh, at this point, that to me would would make it, it worth having him back. Because right now, you know, the locker room stuff's great, but he's almost an assistant coach with the team right now. Uh, you can If you can get him, and I'm not sure he's capable of it, but if you can extract that from him, that would make it um, worth Pierce coming back. Well, you know, from a uh, production standpoint, you know, the, the most he's played this year is, I think, around 28 minutes in a, in a game. So it's more of a, uh, I would say, a, a placeholder for where, um, you know, where they are right now, right. you know, from a, from a schedule standpoint, you've got, you know, it, it's relatively soft, I would say until, um, you know, right, right before the new year's with, you know, you got Denver and now you got San Antonio, Dallas, Lakers, Denver, New Orleans. So I think you can, you can certainly hold the fort until you get into, uh, you can get into, uh, into January, but, um, you know, he, he didn't have much against, against Brooklyn in that game. No, I know he won one for one for seven. So. Um, but I got there early on in, in Miami on, on Friday night and got to see him warm up and everything. So, um, you know, it, I know it's different from warming up than when you, when you step on the court and, and, and everything, but, um, that, that will certainly be interesting as far as what they do there. Maybe it's just wishful thinking on my part that, you know, Pierce can have one last hurrah in like late December, early January to, to contribute, uh, to a team, uh, one more time. All right, let's, uh. Let's move on. And I know you and Woj talked about uh, a lot of the CBA wrinkles in last week's podcast, but I'm curious about the impact this new collective bargaining agreement is going to have on the Warriors. Uh, not only did they you know, have to sign Kevin Durant, clear some space for that, they're going to have to pay Durant, presumably next summer, pay Steph Curry coming up. A uh, lot of big numbers they're going to have to throw around, Bobby, in the next uh, couple of years. Uh, how does the change, how do the change in the CBA uh, affect them? Well, a couple of things, Chris, it, it, how I look at with Golden State, um, you'll be able to retain the, you know, your core four guys, but it's going to have to come out at a sacrifice of, of some of your some of your bench players. And, and if you look at their roster, 
you have to look at it almost like you're going into an expansion draft and you can protect, you know, six or seven players. And, and for Golden State uh, position, the two guys who are likely going to be out are Sean Livingston and Andre Iguodala because of they have such a high cap hold. So if, if you go by, you know, if, if you break it down, basically what's going to happen is, you know, if, if well, let's put it this way. If Durant opts in of his current contract, then they'll be in, in fine shape because then you can just sign those two players with, with bird rights. But if he mm-hmm. opts out and, and signs that $36 million contract, which is about $3 million more than what we had projected to be, now you've got to really figure out what you want to do with, with your roster. And you know when you renounce those two guys, um, you could potentially have some cap space, not much to um, you know, you know, get a guy in free agency around $5 million, but that would come at the cost of, of – um, you know, renouncing all your other free agents except a player like Ian Clark. So, um, you know, your your payroll is going to be high. Then you circle back and you and you pay Curry thirty six million because he's a you know a tier one max because he can fit into that designated player um, rule what they have now because he'll make you know all NBA. Um, at the end of the day, you're you're looking at a one hundred thirty five million dollar payroll for this team, and it's, and it's certainly only going to get higher because you've got uh, four guys making close to 110 million. Um, you'll have that same situation next year where you're basically relying on hopefully some of your younger players and, you know, your first round pick in 2018 and finding some under the radar um, players. But then it gets really interesting when you get to, you know, when Clay's a free agent, um, you know, do you want to pay him that much money? So you'll have, you know, three guys locked in at 120 million and, you know, he might be qualified for that, you know, designated player exception. So, it's the price you pay when you have four four all stars, uh, you know, on the court. Um, and for for Golden State, I think it's certainly worth you know it's worth the you know from an ownership investment because you'll have a championship worthy team for you know the next three or four years here. And you got to figure that they're bound to get at least one ring chaser a year, right? Like one David West type or or somebody that fits that mold that be willing to take a lot less money to play for the Warriors. So I, I think they'll fill a roster spot with one of those guys every year. But after that, you know, it, it becomes really incumbent on Bob Myers and his staff to draft well. And they've done that, you know, no question. I mean, even Patrick McCaw, uh, a kid that looks like he's going to turn to a player for them, um, is, is someone that that can become a valued member of the rotation over the next few years. But as we move forward in, in, in 17 and 18 and 19, not just those first round picks, Bobby, but those second round picks, they've got to hit them. They've got to find the talent in that second round that can contribute to their rotation because that's all they're going to be able to afford uh, with the money they have to dish out. That's going to be the key. It's almost like they're going to have to follow the blueprint that Memphis did, you know, as far as finding some under under the radar players, some second round picks. Um, even in in the first round, it's going to be very key for the Patrick McCaws, the Kevon Looney's, the Damian, uh, you know, Joneses of the world. Their their first round pick in 2018. Can you find an undrafted player? Um, heavy emphasis on on player development because you're you know that's what you're going to be looking at as well as if you have a room mid-level exception worth four million dollars and then you have some of your minimums to fill out your your roster and you're going to have to go through that same um you know that same process it's almost like what the clippers had had to do the last uh you know couple years where you're basically every year you're kind of turning over over your bench all bit though the you know golden state still has some of their you know current you know uh, first round picks that you know the Clippers don't have, um, so th- that's going to be the big uh, that's going to be the big thing for, for for Golden State. And then when you get to Clay as a free agent, and then Draymond, then you then you really got to figure out what you want to do. All right, before we finish up, um, I know you've been 
diligently reviewing the uh, new collective bargaining agreement and what we know. That must be some really exciting reading uh, there, Bobby. Um, <laughs> but but as you've as you've kind of combed through it, it's a real page turner, I'm sure. As you've combed through it, uh, anything that we don't already kind of know about stand out? I mean, look, we we know that the the NBA's willingness to go back to uh, basically six year deals is notable um, because it it shows their commitment. Uh, to trying everything they possibly can do to keep um, you know players in their own uh, markets and help those small market teams out. But as you review it, um, what else kind of jumps out to you? Well, before we jump in there, you know, Christmas came early for me about a week early with the term sheet when oh, I got wow, it on yeah. on, uh, on Sunday night. My wife, my wife thinks I'm nuts because you know I I was like waiting by my computer to to get it, and when I got it, it was like you know my firstborn was just coming into the world. Yeah, some, into the some, world. some people wait. Some people wait <laughs> up for J.K. Rowling books. You look for term sheets from CBA talks. Um, but you know, when I, when I look into, when I look at it and I, you know, start breaking down a, a couple things that come into, into play, um, it looks like teams really had an issue with how restricted free agency, uh, happened the last, you know, three or four years. We've seen now that from three days, if, uh, from the, the matching period goes from three days to two days now, we'll never see a contract like uh, Brooklyn did with Tyler Johnson, where you were able to, uh, construct it where you're, you're basically backloading the, the deal in, in Miami. Um, when they match it there, you know, you get cap hits of 18 and 19 in years, three and four. Basically now the matching team on, on non first round picks can, you know, average out at the player. Um, you know, the designated player exception, um, the extension or signing a player, like we'll see what Steph Curry, for, if, you know, for basically players who are, um, you know, who have, you know, eight or nine years of, of experience uh, will be a free agent or an extension and hit, you know, all NBA criteria, you can give them a higher percentage. Um, that's interesting. And, but there's not that many players that, that fall into that category. We talked about cousins, possibly Paul, Paul George this summer, if he makes, um, all NBA, um, you know, the season of course has gotten, uh, you know, gotten shorter, um, as far as, you know, from a time standpoint where it's, it's going to start in, in mid, um, you know, mid-October now, um, they're actually going to add some days onto the season. So it's usually 170 days. Now it's going to be 177 days. So we'll see that, um, you know, the season end a little bit later, a uh, week later than it, than it normally um, did. But um, I always said it's, it's, it's almost like an addendum to the 2011 CBA where they basically put, you know, a lot of those rules are in place. And now we've kind of tinkered with, um, with, with, with some, uh, with some new ones here. Well, that's good stuff, Bobby. I'm sure you'll have <laughs> Much more for us later on, and, and believe me, I know the audience out there is 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 anxiously awaiting more. Would you like for me to do like a books on tape no, for the uh, new no. CBA, and you can put it in your uh, you know, on your phone? You listen on the subway. And well, I, I was going to say you can put it in my phone. I can listen to it before I go to sleep. I mean, that'll that'll put me down. <laughs> I'll put me down fast there. All right, Bobby, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining me here on the podcast. Thanks, Chris. That's it for this week. My thanks to Bobby Marks for joining the show. Don't forget, you can check out archived podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, give us a rating, leave a comment. You know I appreciate it. As always, you can check out the Vertical Podcast with JJ Redick and the Vertical Podcast with Woj. And I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. 
Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.